Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Gabriella. Gabriella Gabriella Farrow is the Purpose Connector, a therapist. That's what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yoga teacher, filmmaker, and filmmaker, combining her passions to create the cutting edge online program, the Uniqueness Factor. And she puts you, like you, not the you. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, she is a, a personal development mentor and advocate for women's empowerment. Her journey is being filled with purpose and what she calls royal self-love. Began when she was eight years old and her parents separated. To 26 more, more years of challenge, including a traumatic youth, self-harm, becoming a young mother. I was too. I was 16 when my daughter was born. Uh, the loss of her father and surviving narcissism, also something, not loss of father, but narcissism. My father and my ex are narcissists, lovely people. <laughs> uh, Gabriella went to live in central Australian desert with the Anang Anangu. Did I say it right? Pretty much. Yeah. Keep going with that. Oh uh, yeah. I tried. <laughs> we went over this. Everybody listening. We went, I'm not editing this out. I, we went over this before and I'm like, I'm going to try real hard. <laughs> the Aboriginal people where she learned the women's traditional wisdom and integrated her past inspired by the indigenous wisdom combined with the study of different modalities, including neuroscience, which is something that I'm fascinated by. How do our brains do these things? You know, um, I've been reading about dissociative identity disorder I'm like, that is fascinating and scary how your brain can split like that to protect you. And I'm like, that's just, you know, it just all of it. Uh, Gabriella now shares her passion for expanding human potential. Well, now that we got through that, because I always like to comment every time I read a bio, I'm like, yes, I like that part. Ooh, yeah, that's, I'm interested in that. People are probably like, just get it over with, Megan. (laughs) Gabriella, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. I would love to have you take us back. In your bio, you talked about, you know, when you were eight years old and that's where your royal self-love journey began. I'd love to have you take us back there and tell us what what started this all going on. Oh, sure. Now, I forgot what I wrote in that bio. So <laughs> I kind of forgotten that I wrote all that. It's been a while. I took a break from podcasting. So that bio <laughs> is months old. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you're going to have me laughing. I'm laughing so much already. This is going to be fun. That's so, all right. Um, I like people to enjoy themselves during the <laughs> podcast. Yeah. So when I was eight, was um, what happened then was that was when my parents separated. So that was when there was this big change in my environment. And because my mom, so I'm just going to launch straight in, because my mom had kind of suffered so much from a 12, 13 year marriage, she started kind of taking that out on her children. Mm -hmm. And so it was then that this kind of disharmony began in my family, in my living environment. And I went on to basically be in a kind of traumatic, um, kind of um, aggressive situation for the next 10 years. So from the age of eight to 18, yeah, I was in this environment that was um, destructive communication and destruction, (laughs) destructive treatment. And 
yeah, I went very internal. I went, I had to internalize everything because I was, yeah, basically so mistreated that I, I lost respect for, for the world. I lost respect for others because it was just this, this kid and this teenager just being treated in a way that was so not okay. And Mm -hmm. so I sort of learned like, well, screw everybody else, screw everyone, because if this is how the world's going to treat me, I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm going to kind of lose respect as well. And I just got a bit destructive in my behaviour myself because of that and started, yeah, going internal. So I was quite sensitive. I was a really sensitive person. I'm a very sensitive human being. And I learned, I, so that's what set me off on this journey of learning my internal world, which I then just continued for the next couple of decades. Yeah, that sounds a lot like me. You know, every time I hear these stories, even though I may not have that exact story, I hear a little bit of myself in them. And I'm like, my parents split up when I was 13 and also had my mom took out her marriage on me at least. And it was a very uh, tumultuous time in my life. So I can completely understand what you're talking about. So how did that lead you? And I can, and we talked, I mentioned during your bio, I also got into a relationship with a narcissist, but I'd love to hear how that led you into a relationship with a narcissist. Oh yeah. Well, that was the, the very next step because I liberated myself from that um, family living environment. And so I left and I, I went to the other side of the country to get as far away <laughs> as I possibly could and, um, and to find myself. And I found far North Queensland, which if you've ever been to Australia, far North Queensland is pretty much separated from the rest of Australia. It's like its own world. And that's because it's the tropics. So the, the environment is so different. Um, and I found some really special places there where I started tapping into myself, but then I also met my son's father. So I basically went straight from that environment with my mother to, it was probably only three months, three or four months. And I met this man and it was like just going straight back into a position of being the victim. Uh, And I guess because I had this, a certain vibration uh, going on from the, the energy, the environment I'd been in for so long and what that had done to me, um, this next situation of someone mistreating me just came straight to me, you know, because we're magnets, we, we, we can attract what we're vibrating at. So I got into this, into this relationship and um, I, I just did not know what I was getting in for. I was, I was so um, naive, you know? Yeah. I was just, I was 19 years old still. So I was completely naive and I didn't understand the human mind. I guess I hadn't really tracked that territory and understood my own mind yet. So I didn't have mental clarity. I didn't have strength as a woman. I didn't have confidence. Uh, I didn't really have certainty, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as a person within me. So I just was kind of at the whim of this person who started manipulating me and messing with my head, like royally effing with my head (laughs) and, and you know how narcissists do and sort of that schizophrenic sort of, um, not schizophrenic, that sort of psychopathic, psychopathic mind. Yeah, I'm like, where are we going with this? I don't think they hallucinate. I think they're just so manipulative. <laughs> that, that mind that tells you that everything is wrong with you when it's mm-hmm. what is wrong with them. 
Yeah. They pretty much project onto you exactly what's going on for them and what their problems are, what their issues are. They tell you that that's what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And if you're a vulnerable woman or a person that doesn't know themselves yet, you, you take that on. You, mm-hmm. you believe that. You believe that, oh, my God, like that's what, they, what they're saying is true and you, you doubt yourself. And that, that is not healthy. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so it took me a while to realize that, um, no, no, this is not true. Like what, what he's saying, th- this is not, this is completely him. Um, and that that's what's wrong with him. Like that's what's going on with him, not me. But to get to that point, yeah, that took several years. Yeah, no, I completely understand. My ex was very manipulative he definitely played mind games. I was the one that was a horrible person. I was mm-hmm. a slut. I fooled around. I did all these things. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do those things when we were together. Like, I was like, but he would take every situation and manipulate it. So I was the bad person instead of him being the bad person. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I was paranoid. Like he wasn't cheated on me, cheating on me. I was paranoid. I needed to like calm down. And it was just, yeah, it is a, they do have a way of making us doubt ourselves and tearing us down into where we're, we don't have no idea who we are. Right. And I, yeah, in the end, I actually feel sorry for all these people because they feel torn down. They've actually mm-hmm. been mistreated. Like that cycle of abuse has been perpetuated for them, maybe going back through their generations for God knows how long. And they feel like that. So they've been attacked or mistreated or something's gone down for them at some point that's gotten their head to that place that they live in. And ultimately for women, what, and you know, for myself, like, and I talk to people about this all the time, what it, what it means for you is ultimately is stop analyzing and worrying about what's going on in their head and trying to figure it out. The point is that it's crazy and it doesn't make sense and you don't have to figure it out it's them it's what's going on in their head you need healthy distance you need to get space you need to free yourself from that situation and start doing the self-care and start nurturing yourself back to wholeness and back to love again and that's the whole point like don't yeah don't keep worrying because that's part of being in that cycle and being the victim is is being in the drama is just going to keep you in that fight and flight mode so we need to get, we need to just get off that fight and flight mode and start nurturing ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, self-care was not in my, my vocabulary during that time. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> so during that time, is that when you lost your father or did you lose him afterwards? Oh, so it was kind of um, at the beginning of, of that relationship. So, so yeah, I met that guy when I was 19 Um I had the, I had my son when I was 20, so it was very quick. And then I lost my dad when I was 22. And the funny thing about this story is that I, so I, I finally got the courage to, to leave that relationship because it was actually one of my sisters came and stayed with me and she kind of opened my eyes to the reality I was in that I had just become numb to. And I was, um, I was completely desensitized to the way I was being treated. And she was like, sister, what's going on? Like, what's, what, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you putting up with this? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> I hadn't really thought of it. I, I don't know. I just, yeah, was desensitized. So I, I really opened my eyes and I got, she helped me get perspective on my situation. 
So I, I got the courage. I left that relationship. And in the same week, my dad calls me up and says, I have cancer. I'm like going to die. Wow. Um, I've, the doctor said I've got maybe two, three months. He said, but I think it's more like two, three weeks. So I jump on a plane the next day and, um, yeah, basically my, my dad passed away within that week and that was my son. My son um, turned two the next week. <laughs> oh. So it all, happened, it all happened within the space of two, three weeks. So how did losing your father affect, your, like, affect you? Um, I know everybody deals with grief differently. Uh, for some people, they have a really hard time um, moving. I, I don't know if moving out of grief is the right word, but being able to heal and, and go on with their lives while other people get kind of stuck in that place because it, it is a horrible thing to lose somebody that you're that close to. Yeah, yeah. So I was lucky in that um, I got brought up in a in a well, religious family, but spiritual. Like, so my father was very religious, but he was very, um, I call him like a mystical Catholic. <laughs> so more like that Eastern Catholic or somebody that is just open-minded, that isn't um, like so rigid and all, yeah, although there was rigidity with it. He was very, um, very spiritually connected and he, he infused me with that. So he passed that on to me. And I really got given that growing up. So we, we had certain practices and things we did. And beyond all the rules or dogma or whatever, I got sort of infused with this very um, like spiritual connection that I, I could really feel as a real thing. So it was something very, very tangible. It was like, wow, wow, I'm experiencing this connection and this love. So, um, so when my dad passed away, I had an understanding of, um, okay, he's just somewhere else. But I felt, I felt like in a way we got closer because all his physical um, limitations and things that he, um, you know, his, his yeah, rules and yes. sort of restrictions in his life, they, they all went. So I, I felt very close with him spiritually um, and just energetically. And I, I grieved like so much because I was, we were so close. And um, I feel so deeply. I'm such a deep feeler. And these grieving cycles, they, they go on. Like I think every year I would have like a breakdown over him and just miss him and just mourn again and cry. And I, I nurture myself very um, generously. <laughs> yeah, I'll use that word generous because I think, um, yeah, it's so important to allow yourself to feel. And that's what I'm all about. Like in my work and everything, I'm all about allowing the feelings and freeing them and feeling what's there and being very real with it. So, yeah, I just, I let myself just miss him a lot and feel whatever I needed to feel. Yeah, I tell people, I, I told my husband, I don't want a funeral. I want a celebration of life when I leave this earth. Of course, he always tells me he's going to go first. So, um, but I was <laughs> like, I don't want people sitting around and, thinking of, you know, oh my gosh, we lost her. I want people to be like, look at all the time we had with her. Like what, look at all the things we were able to do and, you know, sit around and be able to share stories with people and laugh and cry. And, you know, cause I feel like funerals sometimes are just such like, they're so awful, you know, <laughs> like you don't get to share with people your experiences of this person and really mourn like the person you lost, right? Because you're not able to talk about those things. Instead, you're just 
you know, everybody's sad. And I mean, you're going to be sad at a celebration of life, but I want them to be able to share with each other stories, laugh, cry, you know, grieve together and not have to grieve by themselves. So that's what I say. I want a celebration of life. I want a celebration of life, right? Celebration of life, food and drinks, and everybody just gets to have a good time. <laughs> Megan, I think um, what I'm hearing you say is that you want to leave a legacy, and we we have like over 200 of your podcasts now. So I think you, I think you are going to leave a legacy, and we will. We'll listen to them and laugh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even my even my friends, I could totally see them telling like you know typical Megan stories, things that I did, and things I got up to, and you know stuff like that, and. My sister and I have talked about it and we think that that would be the best because she wants the same thing. She was like, I don't, I don't want people to just sit around and be sad looking at my, you know, dead body. She's like, I want them to celebrate my spirit and the kind of person I was. I'm like, yes, that's what we need to do. <laughs> so we're on the same playing field when it comes to that. But I mean, I, I don't think there's anything that can ease grief, but I think when you're, when you know that you're not grieving alone, it can make a difference. Yeah. Well, and, and to have this broader perspective. So that's why I love what you're saying, because um, to celebrate life, just you're in this broader perspective of this was this person's life, like mm -hmm. an acceptance of, okay, birth and death happens, right? It's right. what happens in between that matters. And so let's look at that in between part and, and celebrate that and accept however the death happens and whenever it happens, it's like we have to accept that. And having that broad perspective um, gives us that ability to, to see like the, the, the greater message mm -hmm. in someone's life. And I think that's a healthy thing to apply to all of our situations and everything we go through to, to look at, okay, what's life teaching us? What are the lessons in here? And where's this all leading? And, even if we don't know where it's leading, uh, if we're going through something like I went through probably stuff for 10 years where I, I didn't have a clue why it was happening. Probably. Yeah. Probably actually 20 years. And I probably, I still don't <laughs> like, I still haven't seen the fruits of my life yet. Like all of them. Um, and so, especially when I was younger though, it was like, why is this happening? And when I was going through a lot of trauma in my teens, I was mm -hmm. like, why is this happening? I would just, I remember throwing shoes against my wall. Like um, that was just an activity I did to, to release pressure. I remember like being uh, in my room and I, I just felt all alone and like, what's life all about? Like why? And there was just this, this resounding through my head. Why? Why? And um, as a teen, I probably, because um, I didn't understand as much about life, I probably wanted those answers. And now I don't need to know why I've learned how to trust life. And when we learn how to trust, I mean, trust is such a big issue. It's such a big topic. And I'm very, I'm really passionate about all the things around trust and how we do that. Um, and so to trust, like, yeah, even if we don't know where life's going, it's okay. Like we just need to know that we have to take one step at a time. And like, um, was it Rachel, Rachel Martin the other week? Um, With the poverty? on your, leaving poverty and she was saying just take one step at a time like just go one step at a time and that's part of being self-loving of doing our self-care is just be gentle with ourselves like just say to yourself okay I might not understand it now but I know I just have to keep breathing and um, just try and see the balance of life that there actually is 
as much goodness as there is suffering. There is as much joy as there is sorrow. Like life is actually in balance and it's up to us to see that. I agree. And I, like you, when I was a teenager, I always asked why I'm like, why am I going through this? Even in my twenties, I was like, why do I have to deal with these things? Like, why, why did I go through these things? Like, and it seems like nobody else did, but then you know what, once I opened myself up and started healing, I met lots of people who went through similar things. Like I wasn't alone, but I felt alone. And I think that, um, you know, back to what we were saying is, we, we aren't in this all alone. We don't have to feel alone. I mean, you and I are having this conversation right now. Somebody listening in the audience is probably thinking, oh my gosh, I went through something really similar. I, I can't believe this. And they're going to take something away from our conversation. So I love that you said it has a lot to do with self-love. And I, and I also want to express how connection is really important there too, so that you know, we aren't, we think we're alone. We think we're going through this. We're the only person that's ever experienced all this crap in our lives, but we're not. And I think that's really important for us to know. Yeah. And yeah, I think resourcefulness is such an important quality that we kind of forget about, or it's just not taught. Like we grow up, like schools don't teach it. Yeah. Um, really. And um, <laughs> what if we don't have a mentor or somebody um, to teach us that, like, I, and I, I did, I learned that from those desert women. I learned resourcefulness from them. Like that is, that is a quality that they embody so well. And so that's how I learned it. And resourcefulness is something like, yeah, everything is available to us at any moment. And this is resources on every level. It's, it's emotional resources. Um, it's not just physical resources. It's even like mental health resources. It's um, relational resources. It's, health resources there's all the resources there and they literally are at arm's reach and um when i was out in the desert sitting with these women and literally just just sitting you're sitting with women on on the red sand just you're sitting on the ground and there's like a fire or two nearby and they'd be doing something creative they're really creative people and they'd be weaving or making jewelry or something and um literally one day um this this auntie um who was a like what they call a senior elder um and her name was chickadoo she she was making a basket and then um i think i had something that she needed and she just she reached and grabbed like she looked what i had i had some things with me and then she was like oh she reached for it so passionately and grabbed it and started i i think she was mending her basket and so she used my thing and it was like just something happened to me that moment where I realized, oh my God, everything we need is at arm's reach. It really is. It was almost like God or something spoke through her in that moment. You know, those God moments where you just get this like, oh, life is communicating something to me right now. Pay attention. And, and yeah, I just realized everything we really, really need is at arm's reach. And it's just a matter of um, reaching out and having that resourceful attitude. So there's, there's never a lack of resources like everything and, and people that we need to help us move forward or get over a challenging situation is always there. We just, we have to reach out and speak out and ask for help. And that is a sign of strength. Yeah. I like the saying that friends are there for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I think that goes with everybody that comes into our lives. Like they aren't there by accident. And so I, like you said, we need to really, 
be resourceful and, you know, reach out and ask that or learn the lesson we need to buy the, from these people that come into our lives. Like, what's the lesson I need to learn here? Cause maybe they don't have something that we, we need or they can't help us with something. Maybe they're there to teach yeah. us a lesson. So I'd love for you to tell us what made you go and live with the desert women? Like, how did you get there and made that decision? Okay. So, <laughs> so, um, so well, I'll just, I'll just backtrack a little bit. So mm -hmm. to, to after I got through my youth and then I got through that relationship and yeah, my father had passed away. Um, I moved to the Byron Bay area of Australia and it's like the holistic capital of Australia. Mm. It's just full chock-a-block of every sort of, um, I don't know, yoga, new age, um, you know, personal growth development kind of thing that you can possibly imagine. Right. And so I, I learned, I started studying naturopathy and then I went on to learn like theta healing and, yeah, that deep emotional healing, like NLP, all this kind of stuff. So I was really inspired. Um, and I guess I opened myself up, like I opened up my energy centers. I was quite open and attuned and I lived on properties like out in the bush and I did gardening. So I really, um, yeah, I guess started getting really in touch with my creativity and where my life path was going and having visions of uh, what I wanted to do and where, where that was all going. And I felt like, yeah, the challenges that I already had were um, were really leading me somewhere, like were really leading me. Um, so I got this call to um, go to a rain, what's called a rainbow gathering. And it's a bit of a hippie gathering. I probably sound like such a hippie. I love, no, I'm, I'm a hippie at heart. I always tell people, like, oh, I have kombucha brewing in my kitchen right now. Like, yeah, it's good. It's great. I, I mean, my first batch, I failed miserably. But then I did some research and my, I've done three successful batches so far. So I'm pretty proud of myself. And a lot of people I know are like, what is kombucha? I was like, you don't know what kombucha is? Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So I make my own kombucha too, Megan. And, Yay. Um, yeah. And I actually, I totally destroyed my first batch too. I think my, it went moldy. I totally killed it. <laughs> no, mine didn't go moldy. I just didn't let it ferment long enough. And so when we went to actually taste it I was like this doesn't taste right and so I did a little research and come to find out like I I was told to use the pH strips and and you have to you have to taste test this like you can't just go buy pH strips and so it's worked ever since I have a special straw that I stick in there and I don't try oh. the kombucha <laughs> Oh, you're like, you're a bit technical with your kombucha. Machine. I am technical with my kombucha, um, but it's been great. And uh, we've done like three or four different flavors so far and the kids love it. It saves us money because I love kombucha, but I don't have the money to drink it all the time. But now that I'm making my own, I can mm. drink it all the time. Is it, and isn't it incredible? I really feel the difference. Do you feel the difference in your gut and your energy? Oh yeah. I love yeah. Um, kombucha always makes me feel better. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, Go so anyway, yes. Um, you're happy. Yes. <laughs> I was out in this gathering, and um, and I met this beautiful, beautiful human being who was a man who was like a didgeridoo healer. He'd been in, he'd been out to the desert, and he lived with this elder who is a um, yeah, kind of famous elder, Uncle Bob Randall, and he's a he's a famous indigenous um figure he was a filmmaker singer songwriter and something happened to me when um this young man I met 
at this gathering spoke about this elder and spoke about the desert and he spoke about the women and he's the the elders and i just i just got like tingles like non-stop for it wasn't just like one moment of tingles it was like lasted for like an hour <laughs> and i was i was just like what is going on i have to go and talk to this guy so i went and uh, chatted with him and he, he told me a bit more about the the desert mothers the desert women um i call them the desert mothers now that's just a nickname that uh, me and my brother now made up for them um and so he actually gave me um uncle randall's phone number like directly and so i just called up this elder and so it was kind of just this magical connection it was just one of those things that's meant to be the connections just come when i it's love something those connections be, right <laughs> and so i called him up and we connected like we really just yeah got on the same page and he he really felt what i was all about and he said oh well i'm i'm about the same things and so i went out to i basically um arranged a trip with a friend and we went out there and we called up uncle and he we asked um for a blessing that was the first thing we do it's kind of like the protocol like the cultural protocol you ask for a like kind of permission to be there or a blessing for just your your passage um of being there so um he did this little blessing for us which was just so beautiful and he said well yeah you're coming to my place then <laughs> come and hang out so we went and we stayed there for a few weeks and we helped out like on in the childcare center because when you're on an indigenous community um unless you're related <laughs> you you've got to be doing something it's not like you just go there and hang out like you've got to be doing something you got to so contribute we, yeah so we did we did gardening and we worked at the childcare center and stuff like that and then um so then it was a couple of years later that was in 2007 i think and then it was in 2010 like i always stayed in touch um with the, with the elder and then in 2010 i just got the strongest calling to go out there again like just overwhelmingly that's what i have to do there's nothing else in my life that i have to do right now except go to the desert and so i called him up and he said oh we were just looking for someone <laughs> yeah we were like literally we we're just speaking yesterday we need someone here so when 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 are you getting here and i was like wow so um yeah i drove out there and and went to stay with him and his wife wow how serendipitous. I love it. It's wonderful. So what, what kind of lessons did you take away from these desert women? What did they, what did they teach you? You already told us a little bit about, you know, how not directly, but they kind of taught you that you need to reach out and just grab what you need. Um, what other lessons did you take away from them? Well, I learned a lot about, um, integration and I always say that, um, these women they're like they live from their belly down well from their hearts down really because they're, they're very heart-centered they're very heart-centered people they kind of they remind you of like hawaiians or um you know a culture like that that's just very very in their heart and very in their belly it's like their center of gravity is in their belly not in their heads like our western culture um can tend to be like we can tend to just be over rushing and overheady and so they are just these kind of very slow um very integrating integrative people and they they are very in touch with um the pace of the earth i guess because they're so connected to the earth and the earth cycles 
Um, so it, it helped me also connect to the earth cycles and learn as a woman like, yeah, my place in the universe and how I move with those great cycles of life and just help me attune to, the, to nature, to the cycles in a deeper way because the desert is an interesting landscape. It's very still and very um, quiet. So you sort of go in and I stripped off so many layers of my ego. It really brings up your ego and shows it to you in your face. So I got to strip off a lot of my ego and, excuse me, and um, just learn to learn to slow down. And these women are just, I remember asking one of the aunties because there was the issue of the rock climb on Uluru and the elders and all the people there, um, the traditional people, they ask you, please don't climb the rock. It's basically an insult. It's a sacred site. Like okay. their people never climbed it. Only like certain men for an initiation climbed one part of it. Um, so it's not meant to be climbed. And um, so I was really passionate about, I wanted to try and help get that climb closed. And little did I know that was like such a big issue. And um, I believe it's being closed this year. Um, I have to connect back in with that. But um, so I was, I was really passionate about, um, yeah, helping this issue of this rock climb um, and helping that get closed. And um, I remember asking one of the, one of the women, um, how long do you actually think, like when do you think it will get closed? What do you think is actually the likely outcome? And she said, oh, maybe 200 years. <laughs> and I was just blown away. She said, she said 200 years. So she could see with her vision um, that far into the future. And like, it just taught me so much. It was like, she was saying, I have the patience and tolerance and understanding of the human condition and all the complexity of what's involved in people coming to that place where they're going to respect the sacred site that it could take 200 years. And I just, I could hardly believe it. I was like, these people have so much tolerance and acceptance and they go through a lot of hardship and they move on and they just, um, yeah, they kind of live in the present moment. So they are in this celebration of life a lot. And I think that's why they're able to be so creative as well, because they're just living in the present moment. They, they accept things, they move on and they do what they've got to do. Yeah. I think we all could take that lesson sometimes. I was just thinking while you were talking, I'm like, Maybe tomorrow I just need to sit in my backyard and journal and, and let whatever comes come. Cause I think it's, you know, recently I moved. And so I feel like I've just been in this, this state of like discombobulation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where I belong anymore or what's going on here. Um, and what I took away from what you were saying is sometimes you just need to, to come back to that. You know, that seemed to be, what you were talking about with the women and how they just kind of move through time. They don't seem like they're in a rush and they, and they, and, and they respect what, what happens is going to happen. They have this great respect for the earth. Like her saying 200 years. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine 200 years. Yeah. See, we couldn't imagine that, but she could. Yeah, it's incredible. Their connection is so inspiring, you know, so inspiring. It sounds like a place I need to go and hang out for like a month and come yeah, back. To my yeah, <laughs> I, I got so inspired to take people there. I actually came back and I had a lot of trouble integrating back. So even though I lived there for like 10 months, 
I came back and it took me six months to get back to um, the East Coast of Australia again. And I felt like everyone was like on drugs, just <laughs> not very connected. And I, it might sound harsh or, you know, it might no. sound a bit harsh, but I did. I felt like people were so in their heads compared to those women, so not connected compared to those women because I'd, now I'd had that comparison. And, um, yeah, it helped me. Being in the desert helped me integrate all the stress and trauma I'd been through. It helped me integrate everything I'd been through in my life and kind of just bring it down literally through my feet, literally into the earth and to just let all that stress go out of my body and help my nervous system recalibrate again, because that's a thing, isn't it? With, with um, trauma is that your, your nervous system just gets wired to that fight and flight. And I always describe the fight and flight mode as like a train that is going so fast it's like a train that's built up this momentum. Your nervous system's just wired like that. And it's releasing these chemistries. And when you've got that cortisol pumping through your system, it's really, it's, it's hard. To, it takes time to rebalance those levels of all those chemistries. And so that train, it's like putting the brakes on, can take a bit of time depending on what you've been through. So the time I spent there was so valuable in, yeah, recalibrating that. And um yeah, it helped me also like develop this intimacy with myself because mm. I got to really see into myself in a different way because the level of connection there is so strong. I, yeah, like you said, you just have to go there. I can't describe it. The desert is really powerful. And with intimacy, um, I have this little breakdown of the word intimacy. So if you, I've got this, I do have this thing with spelling words differently. <laughs> you do, I mean, uniqueness. Yes. So tell us about intimacy. So like intimacy can go in and then little dash to T-O dash me, M-E dash C, S-double-E. Like, so into me, C. So you're seeing into yourself. Mm. And so intimacy is something that can happen not, not only with other people. It, intimacy is a thing that happens with yourself. And the deeper we go into ourselves and can understand ourselves, the more trust we can build and heal though where, where that trust has been broken in the past because that's, I think that's what it all comes down to when we're hurt by other people and go through these traumatic experiences is that our trust gets broken. We're like, oh, I trusted you, but I, I thought you were there to love me. Oh, my God, I thought you were going to treat me nice. I thought this was meant to be loving. I thought planet earth was about a loving experience. Mm -hmm. God, I didn't like, I didn't know it was going to be horrible. So as a, especially when we're younger, it's like, Oh, you broke my trust. You hurt me. I'm going to put a wall up now. And I know, I know you um, have spoken about this Megan um, in other podcasts, like how we, we put these walls up and these boundaries up and they're there to protect us and we need them for a certain time, but they can't stay up forever because they'll, they'll end up trapping us and, like caging us in, you know, will be defensive. And I, that's, that was my problem. Like I got, I got really defensive because I put such a huge wall up to protect myself that then um, I always felt like I was under attack even when I wasn't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That wall has to have a gate and some windows. And if you just have a, <laughs> a wall without a gate or some windows, you're not letting anything in or out. I mean, that's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Right. So so, so healing that trust was really, really this pivotal thing that, um, that got me really 
feeling and understanding self-love to just a, a really deep level where I could really feel and embody, oh, wow, I love myself now, even if they didn't. Like, I forgive them. And I think forgiveness is is really the key to all healing, to all, to sh really shifting stuff, like to really releasing our emotional baggage of the past. Because when you forgive, it, it liberates everything. When you forgive them for how they treated you and you forgive yourself, um, for whatever, for everything. Um, or it's like all the energy can just release. It literally can just dissolve and melt away and we can go, okay, um, I'm going to keep a healthy boundary now, like, because we do need this balance, like, um, of, of protection and still to be able to remain vulnerable. So that's a thing when we do eventually heal and, um, Bring, bring it back into wholeness and love from, from redefining, okay, I can trust humans again, feeling safe to trust again. Um, we then need to establish like that healthy boundary again of it's got to be a balance. We can't just go all masculine now and be all strong, um, but we can't be too, yeah, we can't um, like be too open and let people trash us anymore, right? Just because that's what we were used to in the past. That can't happen anymore. So, and it's this balance, which I, I just feel like there hasn't really been an archetype for women to really look to yet of someone, a woman that is soft and strong, that is delicate, yet um, like so defined, that is right. open yet protected, you know, gentle yet fierce. And so this archetype, except Wonder Woman, that latest Wonder Woman movie. Yes, that was so good. Oh my God. I had to watch that like over. I, I was so ramped up by that. I was like, this is the new archetype. Yeah. This is the woman who can show her vulnerability and be okay. And, um, but she is so strong and she won't let anyone mess with her and she's got her boundaries and she will protect herself and everyone else. <laughs> and, but she's not afraid to show her soft side. So I think it's just all about balance. Like we, we've got to come into balance. It's the aim of life. And I think we're all just on that journey. Like none of us are really there yet. No, definitely <laughs> not. Just learning balance. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like I said, I feel super disconnected and I think I'm completely out of balance right now. I, I really do. And I'm like, I got to figure this out. Well, this was a good conversation. Cause I'm like tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to spend some time with just me, not any distractions, not reading a book. I love reading, but books have been a distraction, you know, send the children to watch, do something, watch TV or play a game that'll keep them distracted and just kind of sit with me and be like, what, what's going on here? Like, why are we so disconnected right now? Um, cause you know, we do get like that and we get out of balance and we got to bring ourselves back in. Unfortunately, I don't have any desert women I can go visit right now. So <laughs> I got to figure this out on my own, but I do have a beautiful backyard. I'm surrounded by nature. My husband got me a wonderful, we are renting a wonderful house that is just surrounded by nature. It's exactly what I need to be able to come back to myself because okay. the city was killing me slowly. Um, so as we wrap up the podcast today, it goes by really, really fast. What is something yeah, I could keep talking to you for ages? I, I know. I, I mean, I always get so sad that I got to cut it off, but like my audience has spoken. They're like 45 minutes is a good time because anytime I've gone over too much, they're like, that was really long. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I know I'm kind of like that too. When I'm listening to podcasts, you know, there you look at the timer and you're like this 
if it's more than like an hour, you're like, this better be really good. <laughs> want to go make a cup of tea or, do, or move on to the next thing. Yeah. I right. It. I mean, I think that's part of what you were talking about though. We're always busy and you disconnected and we're always on the go and it's always so fast. You know, I'm like one of those people zooming around the grocery store, like got to get out of here. But you know, we really just need to slow down and enjoy life and enjoy what's what's happening and feel more connected to what's going on but today's world i mean me too I, I, just so disconnected so and to wrap this all up what is something or a collection of things that you would like to leave the inspired women women audience with you've shared so much about your story and the lessons you've learned um what else would you like to share yeah so um maybe i would i would really like to share um that just to, to slow down. So yeah, Megan, you're going to go sit on the ground. <laughs> you're going to go, you're going to go sit on the earth to, to make the time and space, because I think the, the biggest um, area where we just can um, kind of fail to look after ourselves is that we just do not schedule that time for ourselves, which is really being not nice to ourselves. It's being right. uncaring. Like if you actually think about it like that, if you, if you don't make time for yourself to connect to yourself, your cycles, your intuition, your your deeper feelings, and um, and and do a practice that really gets you there deep. Um, then we're just we're just not going to really be balanced in this world. Like this world is crazy, and that slowing down is really there's there, look there's so much involved in it. It's like right. acceptance. It's acceptance of life. It's acceptance that you know we can take. Till we're, till we're 60 to really birth uh, our purpose. Everybody has a different purpose. It doesn't matter if, if yours is going to happen when you're 20 or 30 or when you're 50 or 60. It's just to, to be in that flow. So yeah, take the time to attune, attune, attune. Um, so to, to ask quality questions is, is the thing that I think we need to do when we have that time for ourselves is to ask questions. Because if, if we're just hanging out, it's like, yeah, just restoring and that, that rest and restore of getting the parasympathetic nervous system, giving it its time to balance and equilibrate. That's really important. But I think there's a really also important aspect where we need to actively go soul searching and deep diving and um, ask questions. And I really do believe, I think it was John Martini that says, the quality of life is determined by the quality of the questions we ask. Like ask questions. If you're afraid of something, if you're afraid of a situation, if you're afraid of leaving a relationship, if you're afraid of anything in life, like ask for the solution. Ask to be given what you need to move forward. Ask what is in your way. Like just ask quality questions that are going to resolve that thing or just do that next step that you need. But yeah, definitely keep asking quality questions. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, I want to be, I said I want to be a therapist when I grow up. I think that's part of therapy, right? Is you're, you're asking another human these quality questions and they're helping you decipher, you know, what is going on right now. I mean, it, you are deciphering, but somebody's helping. I, I said it's kind of like somebody's guiding you. You know, you, they're the like guideposts along the way. They're not really the, like dragging you along with the, the guideposts along the way. Yeah. And it's at, like you said, asking those quality questions. I think a lot of times you forget to sit there. A lot of times we know the answer, right? We just have to take the time to slow down, like you said, and ask, 
ask about that. So Gabriella, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was a wonderful you know, conversation. Obviously it sparked something in me. I'm like, wow, I got stuff to do tomorrow. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.